Let's uh, pick it up actually at the end of chapter 10. I really like to tie the thoughts of the writer together. My favorite author in the New Testament since he wrote <laughs> half of the New Testament. Paul, I don't care what the smart guys say. <laughs> Verse 37 of chapter 10. Yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, Though which he obtained witness, or through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead, still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. I like the f first two words, in verse 1, now faith. Now I know now is a transitional word, but I like tying it together, making it a word of time. Now faith. In the moment. We need faith moment by moment. There's never a time that we're not to be in faith. These men are, that are listed here lived in the now faith, the moment by moment experience. Not yesterday's experience that I had with God, how he worked marvelously. Not hoping in tomorrow what might come, but we hope it's going to be there. But what are you? What are we doing in the present? Are we acting on what we know to be true? That's now faith. And that's the kind of faith that pleases God. I'm taking these a little bit slow because I don't want to miss anything that God would speak to us through these individuals. Abel offered... Enoch walked, Noah moved, Abraham obeyed. You can see that there's certain characteristics that the writer's picking out from each of these patriarchs of the faith. And tonight we're looking at Noah, having covered the other three, uh, two. Uh, but when we think about the order here, it's, it's not only in a historical historical movement, from oldest to, to more modern. Uh, these are all pre-flood. But starting with sacrifice, 
establishing a, your relationship with God. Nobody establishes a relationship with God without sacrifice. So Abel offered his sacrifice. A sacrifice by faith, that was the difference. Cain did not offer his in faith. It wasn't what he offered, it was how he offered. And that is so critical. We must come to God on a basis of faith, on the basis that he has said uh, and expressed as his will for us to make an offering. It wasn't just what we think, it's what he requires. And Abel understood that, and he offered accordingly, by faith. He received forgiveness. And then Enoch emphasizes the walk, the the fellowship with God. This was God's very intention from the very beginning. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, desire of God. But fellowship with man. And Enoch enjoyed that for uh, for the first 300 years. Uh, and then he had the family. And then he continued to walk with God. And then, you know, one day the Lord said, you know, it's closer to my house than yours. Just come on home with me. And that's kind of how it worked. And so Enoch walked with God and was not. And then we're looking at Noah tonight. He moved. God warned him of what was coming, and he believed, and he began to work. He began to move. So that's what we want to look at tonight. He lived in a time when people had turned their back on God. I want you to think about this for a moment. You think... The people's opinion of you is that you're weird because you think differently than they do. You have a different worldview, hopefully a biblical worldview. And you're weird because you don't see things the way they see them. And you uh, have enough within you to stand your ground and, and not be ashamed. Well, let's just think about this guy for a minute. Nobody else except his family. It was... Whatever the population was against him, that's standing alone. That's a man of faith. I don't care what they think. I know what God's told me. That's the kind of faith that God wants to put in every one of our hearts. We're men that just stand our ground because God has borne witness that this is who he is, this is what he requires, and I could care less what anybody else thinks because I'm standing before God for what I believe and what I do, and, you can, and you're going to do the same. That's, a, that's quite a, to me, that's a powerful testimony. You know, he was preaching for 120 years and nobody got saved. Was, well, that was a pretty rotten ministry. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Jeremiah, that poor fellow. No wonder he cried so much, you know, weep, the weeping prophet. Nobody got saved, you know. They just threw him in the pit and left him to die. But in this particular situation, we're told in Genesis that the wickedness on the earth was, had multiplied to the point where the intent of the thoughts of mankind were only evil continually. That is, that is a powerful statement. That is a powerful description of what was going on in the world. Now, there are those who believe that the world's population probably at that time could have been what it is now or more. could have been a, 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 as high as 12 billion I mean, with people living to be, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred years, I mean, and you're talking about a 1,600 to a 2,000 year period between the garden and the flood, it easily would have, um, could have been that many people. And to be outnumbered. Now, we don't know about the technology. We don't know about communications. There's a lot of things that we don't know in that regard because 
when the flood came, it washed it clean. We'll catch a little bit of that later about the cleansing power of the flood. Uh, but let's turn there to Genesis. I think it's it's a worthy uh, portion of Scripture to... I mean, this is why Noah got placed in the Hall of Faith. It came to pass in chapter 6. Now, it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, uh, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Spirit uh, said, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever. For indeed, flesh, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants on the earth in those days and afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men in the days of old, men of renown. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and that he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, again, just confirming that whole being talk, talk about being outnumbered. And I think it's important to remember, we'll get to this a little bit, just to kind of let you know where we're going with this. Uh, Jesus refers to Noah uh, in Matthew 6, I believe it is, or 24, 6, 36, 24, 36, as it was in the days of Noah. Uh, some things are uh, comparable to this, so that's why it's important uh, for us now uh, to to understand what was going on and what the times were there, the attitude of people's hearts in comparison to what it will be like when the Lord comes back. Uh, I think there's a connection there, obviously, but here we see that the Lord was grieved and he wanted he was his intent was to destroy mankind. And he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Now notice that he says there. Uh, on the earth. What we have to see here, and we have to appreciate this, and there's a connection here between the, the supernatural domain, the unseen realm, and the seen realm that we see with our eyes, our realm. This is our domain. The earth was given to man to be our domain. The angels, God's servants in the unseen realm in heaven, were that is their domain. They were given responsibility to uh, help the sons of men uh, learn gardening, agriculture, some other things. We picked that up from uh, extra-biblical writings, but it seems to bear itself out. And there's this interaction that we just uh, covered here. And this is, I think this passage must be understood to really get a grip on the Old Testament and really uh, what, and actually the coming of the Messiah is tied into this. Um, the sons of God are angelic beings. They're those who say, well, this is just the ungodly line mixing with the godly line. That is a disservice 
and that is ignorance of the language, that is ignorance of how the Jewish people viewed the scripture, how they interpreted it, and how it, how it, how what their their spiritual paradigm was, and that's very important to understand that their the result of this was a hybrid being. Their spirits were heavenly, and yet they had fleshly bodies. They, the offspring that resulted from this union of angelic being and human was the Nephilim. They're, uh, they're not human completely. They're not angelic completely. They are a hybrid. They are a mixture. They're the Jew, actually, the Jewish perspective on this this sin of the watchers, the watchers are the ones in Daniel, the, the, a certain level of angelic beings uh, that were given greater responsibility with the sons of men early on uh, before the flood. Um, in, in this sin, it was not only a moral failure in taking the, sons of, the daughters of the sons of men, that was bad. But leaving their domain and mixing with humankind was a greater sin. And this is an explanation on why evil uh, exponentially exploded. Now, think about this for a moment. We have crime today, and it's off the charts, right? I mean, things that happen over the weekend and, you know, our, our thing, I mean, the shootings and all these kinds of things that happen are just, they're just, they're beyond words. Some of the crimes that are committed against humanity are beyond just somebody being naughty, right? I mean, it's demonic. There's something else going on here. We, if you're paying attention to these things, you realize that this is, inspira- this is beyond the human level of mean. And so this is, this is what the, how the Jews would look at this. They looked at two, the two errors that were made by the angels, one, leaving their domain. They had no right to come into our domain and do what they did. But they're greater of a greater capacity. They're stronger, bigger, much more powerful than man. And yet they came into our realm and, and corrupted mankind. Uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the findings of the Book of Enoch and some of the things uh, that we've learned through extra-biblical writings, things that the, the apostles would have read, the book of Enoch, we know that they refer to that, as I mentioned, made mention. Jude, Peter, they read those materials. They talk about this sin. They relate to this sin that went on. That, that was part of their paradigm, their spiritual understanding of how wickedness came and that what Messiah would do when he would come, what he, would, he would destroy the work of the Nephilim. He would destroy the work of what these angels had done. Notice it says here that God was sorry that he made man on the earth. Now, I don't think the Lord was disappointed in the sense that he, what he created in, in, as far as mankind. And when he, saw, he made man and everything that he made, what did he say after everything that he made? That it was good. Maybe it was on the earth type of thing. I thought about this for a while, and I don't really know that this is, but I give it some thought. Maybe he was... Sorry that he allowed the angels to come into our domain. Because, you know, would, would our first parents have fallen without that temptation from, you know, the serpent, the Nakash, the angel the, that came in and deceived her? Maybe that wouldn't have happened. 
Maybe that's what he was sorry that you know I I made putting man on the earth where they would be subject to the of I mean God knew what was going to happen right I mean it was like wasn't a shock to him when we get on the other side we got we'll have some answers to some of these questions right it's really too much for us it's a, above our pay grade it's pretty intense stuff here but I think it's important for us to see the scriptures as the Jewish people see. And until you get into the mind of the writers of each of these books in the Old Testament, you have to see it through their eyes. You know, we have a lot of slang. We have a lot of words that we use. We use sarcasm. Do you think we're the first generation that ever did that? We need to understand how they saw, for example, Ezekiel and the visions he had, the wheel and the wheel. What is he looking at there? He's looking at a throne. That's, that was a portable throne, so to speak. You know, what, what do, how do we interpret that? Oh, it's flying saucers, you know. I mean, whoa, wait, hold on here. What, what did they think about? What, why did they do uh, or think the way they think? And this is the idea. We, don't, we can't look at the Bible through, a Western, eye, through Western eyes. You, you will never see it. You've got to get into the mind of the writers, and that takes time and effort, not just flipping it open seeing it through our eyes and I have a lot to learn in this too don't you know this is not a diff, that is not an easy thing to do by the way so anyway uh, just continuing on here this uh, grieving but we have you know in the midst of all that one guy one leader of his family he did he heard the word of God he was walking with God, he received it. The warning that, look, I've had it. 120 years from now, a flood is coming, and Noah, you need to prepare. Whoa. Okay, what do I do? Well, there's those who believe that God gave them a plan for the ark. This is, how you, this is what you do. You build the ark. It took him 120 years to get there. And he could have used some power tools, I'll tell you. That's a long, that's a big project. It's a lot of work. I wonder what the humidity level was. <laughs> but the point is, he was warned by God, and he believed it, and he, it put him into action. How many people are, and let's, let's go to Matthew, because this is where Matthew sort of ties in. Matthew twenty four thirty six. And Jesus talking about this second coming, but of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days <clears throat> before, Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came. And took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women at the grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And that's the thrust of that is being aware, being ready. Now, we've got a lot of people thinking, well, what was it really like in the days of Noah? 
Well, we read that, didn't we? There's extreme wickedness. You know, the thoughts and intents of the heart. We read all that. So there are those who, who miss the obvious here. Jesus is trying to, to warn us and the, the hearers that you need to be aware of what the day you're living in. It's important. Obviously, no one was aware that God had had enough. He believed the Word of God. We're to, right now, it's not a time to be messing around for people. We, we have relatives, potentially, that are not receiving your witness, maybe. You've got, you, we might have children that are straying. If, you're gonna, if you are in that situation, just continue to pray. Because they were eating and drinking and marrying. They were continuing on. Now, granted, in their eating and in their drinking and in their married, marrying and given in marriage, the evil was just absolutely off the charts. I think the evil that we're experiencing in the world today is on that same level. It's off the charts. And how many people just blow you off when you talk, well, the Lord's coming back. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You've heard that since my grandmother was talking about that, you know, and they mock you. They make fun of you because you actually believe that Jesus Christ is going to return. Does it, does it make you feel bad when they mock you for believing that Jesus is going to come back? Hopefully not. That attitude is actually a confirmation that he is coming back because that's what he said it would be like in the last days. He said it through Peter. He said it through the others. So don't miss the main point of what Jesus is trying to say. Nobody knows, but you better be ready. Now, I believe, according to the Jewish um, perspective on this Genesis 6, that this is the way uh, of God cleansing the heir of the angelic beings. They've descended on Mount Hermon. They made a covenant with each other, a number of these fellows, these angels, and they bound themselves to an oath that they would all stick together in this crime. And <clears throat> as the book of Enoch talks about, they sought Enoch out that he would intercede for them and that Yahweh might pardon them for their sin after they had transgressed. And God refused because they sinned, you know, they sinned with knowledge. They, they, and there's no forgiveness. Why does God offer us forgiveness? Because most of us did what we have done in ignorance, and God's provided mercy. God, there was an innocence in the garden, right? And He provided an atonement. They did it with full knowledge. They didn't. They never had a faith issue ever. I mean, Yahweh's right there. God's right there. There's no need to. They didn't need to walk by faith. So. It is believed by the Jews that God was using this flood to cleanse the earth. He's going to kill everything that breathes, everything that has a, a biological function. Birds of the air. They had so corrupted everything, the bloodlines. Man, beast. People wonder where Greek mythology comes from. Well, it comes from this pre-flood diluvial period where they were mixing the DNAs together. You know, men with bird heads, 
men bodies, you know, the what I'm thinking, the one with the man body and the horse, the centaur, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Where does, where does this, you think that, that somebody just thought this, oh, this is great, I've got a quality imagination. No. There's a reason that we have Greek mythology. It was not Greek, it's just mythology. Well, it's not mythology, it's, it's history of what, how they had mixed, intermixed the DNAs. They were, the enemy was corrupting God's creation. So the only way that God could fix it, so to speak, was to completely wipe it all out and start again. And so that's what's interesting uh, is that some of the Jews had figured out, you know, Noah's the seventh. And by his name, God, God shall bring rest, Noah. He was born, would be like our September 11th, believe it or not. And that is the same day, according to people who've done the calculations, the same day that Jesus was born. He was born in the harvest time. And September 11th. Makes you kind of wonder why they planned September 11th, right? Wouldn't be, it would be like the enemy to do something like that. I wish I knew the day was coming, right? <laughs> but at this, I've never, I had never heard that until I dug into that a little bit about what the Jewish people believed. But who is, there, who is the salvation of mankind? Noah. He's a type of Savior. He's a type of Christ. He's, he prefigured what the Messiah would do. Save mankind from the evil one. And from from the devastation of the fall. And so uh, he is the second. Now, for some of you who really have dug into this, and I'll just kind of whet your appetite if you have, and it's, it really stretched me years ago when I was subjected to the book of Revelation. Because when you read through like chapter 12, and we see, you know, the woman gives birth to a, a child, and then the dragon comes and devours, like, whoa, what is going on here, man? This is like totally sci-fi type stuff, right? Well, not to, not to a Jewish person. They, the, the gospel, and Chuck Mister used to talk about this a lot, but he was very articulate and able to communicate it very, um, fairly clearly, anyway. It's just foreign to us, it's different. But the gospel is in the stars, and, you know, some of the, the constellations were named uh, accordingly. And God, and I think, wrote it there. Uh, if, if ancient people had trouble, you know, passing it from one generation, it was there. The stars never changed. They're there, so let's just go through the plan. And they were able to point out to their children and show them that, you know, the Messiah was going to come. Coming from Virgo, the Virgin, and all those things. Well, they tie all that kind of stuff together, and it's quite fascinating. Uh, so you're... Uh, now there's again astrology and some of that stuff. Who's who's grabbed a hold of that and perverted it? And so you, you just you can't just read anything. You've got to verify things that are in the scripture. But when you go to interpret interpret, you know Revelation 12, it gets a little hairy. It's like I don't get this, and I don't know that I fully grasp all of it. But I'm just saying, when you hear that, don't totally dismiss it because the Jewish people who this is their book. 
they had a way of interpreting these things. And so, you know, it's not so much about the star of Bethlehem. That's another, like, what was going on there? What, what do you mean, what kind of star was that? I don't know. But the real interpretation when it comes to the Messiah is, is actually Revelation 12. So I'm just mentioning some of those things because they're, they're there and we don't have answers to them. The thing about the Western Church, and I, we have all grown up with our theology, we don't want to make people uncomfortable. We, we don't want to get too sci-fi. I mean, that whole... I mean, come on. Genesis 6 is kind of crazy. Like, what? Wait, are you telling me? Yeah. That really stretches us. That really, it's just like, I want a nice, sanitary gospel. I don't want this raw thing that makes me uncomfortable because I don't know. I'm telling you, we're gonna, when we leave this place and we enter into the supernatural realm, our sensory perceptions will be off the charts. And when we see God... We're gonna, that's going to be a mind-blowing experience. So you might as well get ready to be stretched a little bit here. But always remember, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You don't have to believe me. I'm not asking you to do that. But I, am one, I do want to challenge you to study the Scriptures. Be like the Bereans. Study the Scriptures to see what I'm saying week by week. Is it true? Is it right? And, and you come to your own conclusions. What is the Holy Spirit showing you? You have the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about devotions. Because I preach that. But that is how you and I learn the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's the one who instructs us. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who shows us the Father and reveals God's heart to us. So we develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit through His Word. So how do I approach the Word if, if, this, is, if this is the way life is for the believer? Read the Scriptures, pray the Scriptures, and set before the Lord. Just wait, wait on Him. How much do you read? Well, uh, as I've said over and over, read till it speaks to your heart. You're, we don't, by, let me put it this way. When you're communing with the Lord, when you're reading the scriptures, there are certain things that will, will come to you. And, and you're not necessarily thinking it thought-wise. It just sort of dawns on you. Let's put it that way. See, we meet God in the spirit. We don't meet God in our mind, per se. Don't sit there waiting for God to speak to you in English. Or if you know Spanish, Spanish. That's probably not going to happen. He's going to speak a thought or an intent, so to speak, to your spirit. And you, you'll, you'll be reading along and like, Ooh, oh. And then you're sitting there now and you're thinking, what, and you're in a worship service, what is your, what is your spirit saying? What is, your, what is the attitude within your being? Man, I don't know. You know, are you, are you resisting God? Or are you just like, I can't get enough. Lord, please come to me, fill me. What is, there's something going on, right? It's either for God or against God. It's my flesh getting in the way or am I just yielded? There's that little war that, has to, that seems to be continually that we have to deal with. But you, that's what devotional life will do. It'll get you in the right place where you are hearing from God, spiritually speaking, and the word begins to speak to you. 
And it's, it, that's what it's about. That's the kind of faith that takes faith. Now, let's talk about faith a little bit. We have these crazy ideas about faith. Now, I want to share with you this morning. I went out. I, uh, some of you know I'm working on my house, and I got it all boarded up. But before I got it all boarded up, I had, it became a hotel for birds. I, got some, I got a bunch, had a bunch of swallows flying in and out. And one day I come out in the, a day and there's a nest there and now there's eggs in there. It's like, oh, great. You know, as soon as you touch it, they're, you know, they're not going to make it. And so I didn't have time to deal with it. So I just, well, let's let them go. And I didn't want to kill them. So I didn't, I just let it go. They finally hatched and now I've got little squeakers in there. And like, all right, I'll wait a little bit longer before I board it up. Well, now they've come of age and I chased them all out except one. And this guy's almost full-grown size-wise, but he has a little head, so I know he's still a baby. You know, and he can't figure out how to get out the door. There's three or four of us, and they're trying to chase him out. And I finally just boarded it up. So I go out there this morning, and you know, I'm telling the Lord, I don't want to kill this bird, but he's going to die if he stays in here. And I can't leave it open because the other guys will come back in. And so I just prayed, Lord, just help him figure it out. So I'm chasing him around there for about 10 minutes. I'm kind of pressed for time. I'm like, I prayed. And so in my mind, I think, well, he's just going to fly right out there because I prayed. I had faith. I believe, right? It didn't happen that way. But I knew God was going to help me because he knew that I didn't want to kill that bird. So I finally, he's in rough shape because he's been in there for over 24 hours and in the dark and he needs to drink. He, there's, you know, he's in need, so I'm concerned. He's only flying, he's flying really low. And finally, I chase him around a few t- for 10 minutes and he's tired and I'm tired. <laughs> and he said, he lands on the floor right in front of the door. I'm thinking, and I stop. I'm, he's there, the door's there, I'm this side of him and I'm thinking and he hears a bird chirp outside he turns and he flies right out now that that was the way the Lord put it you know he can communicate to a bird right I I know that but I had something in my mind when I prayed initially as soon as I pray he's going to fly right out the door and that's the way it's going to be no so I say that as a stupid silly illustration when it's hard not to try to conceive in our minds when we are praying in faith because we trust the Lord. We believe. We, we, we know he's, he's all powerful and he knows he's going to do what's best for us. And we know he's going to act because he always does. But we have these preconceived ideas. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't, but I do. I always have to deal with this preconceived idea on how he's going to do this. And I've got a, actually some good suggestions for him if he would just listen. <laughs> Which he doesn't, but then I'm glad because then that would make me prideful, right? I knew that was the right way. You know, you want to go there. And just like that bird flying out there was a beautiful thing. I, I was just so happy that, it, that he didn't die and how the Lord did that. So when you're praying, just know that we sang it tonight, I will wait for you. And sometimes you just have to wait. Sometimes you just have to wait. You know, I'm. How do you think Noah must have felt? 120 years, nobody's getting saved. I mean, how many splinters did he pull out of his hands? Like the blood, sweat, and tears. 
That's what it is. On this side of heaven, in the work that God's called us to, just because we don't see the fruit we think we should because we're praying and we're trusting doesn't mean that you're not in obedience, doesn't mean that you're not in God's plan. We're not responsible for the fruit, right? Other than our own, just be fruitful for the Lord and the love and the joy. We're responsible to obey. Just do what he tells us to do. And he will show us. And sometimes we have to wait until he shows us. So I think that's there's probably a lot more here in chapter 11 with, um, with Noah. But that's at least what we can glean from him. A guy living in, in, in tough times, called to a really hard job. And all he has on his side is his family. All we have on our side, fellas, ladies, is the family of God. Do you think the world loves us? Do you think the world even cares about we Christians? We're going to be marginalized. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be the problem. We're going to be ridiculed. Think of the ridicule he must have endured. In closing, what he moved, it says, with godly fear. Do you fear God more than you fear men? That's the challenge of the day. Are we going to be moved by what's going on on the horizontal level? Or are we going to have respect and know that my God loves me He's protecting me. He's got a plan and purpose for me. And no weapon formed against me will prosper because I'm his child. And I'm in his will. I am indestructible until the day the Lord takes me home. And that is the way that you and I have to live our lives. And we, and we don't look back. That's what he says there in the beginning of the end of chapter 10. We're none of those who draw back. There's no way. We've come too far. You've come too far. You've suffered a lot already. We're not turning back. Because we're on the right track. He, his faith that pleased God. And that's what this list is in chapter 11. These are the people who please God in their faith. He pleased God by preparing that ark so he could save his family. He, he was pleased God by his faithfulness and his testimony. He testified against the world. Though there weren't any conversion, he was still a great testimony. Maybe you're not leading people to Christ, but you don't know how your witness is affecting people. Don't throw in the towel. Don't compromise. You never know what God's doing through your life. And it's a good thing we're ignorant of it, right? <laughs> Probably a lot of times. What does it say? He inherited. He became a, a, a righteous. He inherited the, the righteousness of God. See, God rewards those who trust him. So how does it work? How does salvation actually work? Some of you younger guys, what do you, how do you think salvation really works? You believe God. You come to God on the basis of sacrifice like Abel. And you say, Lord, you know, honestly, I, I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. When you ask God to forgive you in the person of Jesus Christ, his blood cleanses you. You're washed the Bible calls it being justified. You want to remember that word. It's very important. But it's almost like 
it says, just as if I'd never sinned. When you believe in the sacrifice, substitution has been made for you. God sees his justice satisfied and he justifies you. And then he, in that, there's an exchange. He's no longer keeping track of your sin. His justice has been satisfied. He now puts you in a position of being righteous. God considers you and I who believe on Jesus completely righteous. It is a gift. I'll take your sin. Here's your gift of righteousness because you believe. And it isn't anything less than an action word because Noah believed, he moved, he worked. Because Abel believed, he sacrificed. Because Enoch believed, he walked. If you believe, if I believe, we're going to obey. Obedience. That's the now faith that we started with. Now faith. It's in the moment. I'm doing what God tells me to do. It's not, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Little kids understand it. It's not intellectual. This is not an intellectual exercise that saves you. It's a surrender of your will. By faith, by by nature, we are enemies of God. Everyone in this room, at some point in time, we were an enemy of God. I don't want you ruling over my life. I don't want you telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm really good enough to be in heaven anyway. See, that's our base nature. That's who we think we are. We think we're good enough to go to heaven on our own righteousness. And God says, you're not even close. You're not even on the same page. Your filthy rags, your righteousness is as filthy rags before me. That's humbling. My best efforts, really? Trash. But if you believe in the sacrifice, it's perfect. Your works, his works, the works of Christ are transferred to your account. Isn't that a wonderful exchange? Try to make it simple so everybody can understand that. Such an important thing. There's nothing more important than to be saved. There's nothing more important. The people in Noah's day were not ready. They thought they had more time. They did not believe the message of Noah. And right up until the day he entered the ark, they just continued to sin like there was no tomorrow. And there was a day when there was not of tomorrow. And they all perished. That's what, unfortunately, that is what is going to happen. One final thought here. He brought the flood to cleanse the earth. Do you understand what's coming upon this earth in the very near future is called the Great Tribulation? The Tribulation is God purifying the earth. He's bringing justice. That's what judgment means. He's bringing His justice upon the earth. And He's going to destroy the those who hate him, those who reject him, those who disregarded the warnings. And he's going to cleanse the earth. Why? Because he's coming. He's cleaning up the mess. And he's coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he will rule and he will reign. And you know what the wonderful thing about that is for you and me? (laughs) That's right. We're going to rule and reign with him. I haven't figured that out yet, but that's what he says. I'll just go with that. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for Noah's testimony, Lord. He's something very special. And you used him to save humanity, Lord. What an interesting calling. What a faithful servant, Lord. What a time he must have had living in that world. Wow. It's hard to grasp all of what he must have endured. And yet, we think about ourselves and what little we have to endure. Oh, Lord, enlarge our hearts, increase our faith, increase our love, and our appreciation for you and for each other. Bless us now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.